Welcome back to Disney Independent. I'm producer Ash. And I'm just some Russian jumping on a trampoline. Woo! <laughs> He's back, baby! Hello, gonna, some Russian on a trampoline. We're going to get our first noise complaint for Immediately. sure today. Immediately, yeah. yeah. They can f- fart off. Because it's 12.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Specific Standard Time. Specifically. So, you know, they can... They on can, a Saturday. You know, they can jump off of something. Where are we talking to people from? <laughs> from an echo chamber. Yeah, if it sounds different, it's because we are in our new apartment here in technically Seal Beach, California. Right on the border of Long Beach and Seal Beach. I uh, never thought we'd be Orange County residents, but here we are. Yeah, barely. Barely. Ashley pointed out the other day that the parking lot of this apartment complex... At some point in the parking lot is L.A. County borderline. And then on another, you know, you step one foot to the other direction and you're in Orange County. So that's pretty wild. The best of both worlds. It is. Uh, we apologize if it's a little more echoey than you might be used to. Yeah, we didn't realize how great the old studio was for was, sound. I know. Didn't know what we had till it was gone. That little room was very hot and small. But boy, was it a good recording room. Yeah, and obviously we're missing Sarah. Sarah is on vacation in Cancun, like a dirty scoundrel that she is. In fact, we should explain to our audience, because we told everyone, by the way, hi. Hey. It's good to be back. We hope that you've had a good break from our stupid voices. (laughs) Um, No, we should tell you that we, in good faith, tried to record this podcast with Sarah. Two days ago. Two days ago, she's in Oregon, we're here in California, we had everything set up, and we just had the most technical difficulties possible. We just could not figure it out. Sarah is very new and green to like audio production on her end, so she had no idea what to do, and I'm trying to walk her through it on Zoom call with share screen. It was a nightmare. Anyway, we're working on it. <laughs> so... We, we spent about an hour plus just trying to troubleshoot with her. So we spent that time wisely. Um, and then she, you know, the next day had to go on vacation. Had to. Had to. Uh, so yeah, like Ash said, she's in Cancun. And um, yeah, we're just happy to be back. And it's wild being down here. It's beautiful. It wasn't. No, we had record flooding and move-in day was literally yeah. flooding. Like Like six inches of water level water if not more in places Mm -hmm. and then all of long beach got flooded out i mean people died it's it's like no joke it was legitimate flooding not just socal people complaining about the rain yeah mudslides in the hollywood hills were really bad yeah cambodian family i'm laughing because it's so insane i I saw a video oh i hate this story dude of of a family getting stuck in an elevator with the water level going up while they're stuck that's like my worst goddamn nightmare oh you know it's funny because a lot of my nightmares include me being in an elevator yeah and like an elevator just plummeting yep or just being stuck somewhere and the rest of them involve me being in the water typically with whales yeah so it's kind of a combination of the two what's that phobia called something large in the water oh well that's sub phobia or something but uh that one's thalassophobia like Fear of deep waters. And then there's another one that's like fear of whales. I don't know what it is. I got all of them. I got got the whole crew. (laughs) 
So there's the fear of something mechanical big in the water, like a submarine. A submarine. <sighs> and then a fear of, like, say, a, a whale. Yep. Just, ooh. Wow. Nope. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. I'm in, I, hey, I I'm in LA now. I know speak whale. I can do voiceover, baby. <laughs> Uh, also, didn't, you know, I, I knew how not L.A. we are in, but we are really not in L.A. Yeah. And I know that because it took me an hour and a half to get there the other day through traffic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Idiots. Yeah. That's what we are. No, we're great. No, actually, we did it right. Mm-hmm. The quality of life here on the coast is, oh my God, so much better. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not 22. I can't live in West Hollywood. No way. I have friends who are doing it, and I'm just, good luck. Yeah. Have fun. I'll commute a couple times a week, no problem. Yep. Whatever. I hear something off in the distance. Oh, yeah? Ah, this just in. It is 85 and partly cloudy at Cancun, not Disneyland. And it is 64 and sunny here. In Disneyland adjacent. Disneyland adjacent. We're about 30 minutes away. The Disney Annex. It's the same exact weather as Disneyland. So we're going to just say Disneyland adjacent from here on out. and You'll know what we mean. Yeah. Ahoy, shipmates. Ahoy! You have just set sail aboard the proud Columbia, an exact replica of the first American vessel to completely circle the globe. Yar. Visit below decks where you may see how we sailors of the 1790s live and work on the high seas. Ding dong. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't know what a ding dong is. <laughs> I was trying to do like a bell. That sounded sound like I was on an elevator. <laughs> uh, well, that was the the voiceover intro to the sailing ship Columbia. And this episode comes out on a very important birthday. Mm. And that's B-E-R-T-H. Because we talking about a boat. We talking about an old wooden ship. <laughs> On February 12th, 1958, the steel hull of Disneyland's newest ship, Columbia, was completed at the San Pedro shipyards, very close to where the Disney Dependent Studio makes birth these days. Like, really close. Yeah. It was then transported to Disneyland's Rivers of America to complete the rest of the ship over the next few months. First, a bit about the Columbia's neonatal ward, the Todd Pacific Shipyards. Originally, the Los Angeles Shipbuilding and Dry Dock Company was founded in April of 1917 for the purpose of establishing a shipbuilding and repair facility in Los Angeles Harbor for World War I. One more time with that name of the company? Los Angeles Shipbuilding and Dry Dock Company. Get a more creative name. LASDDC. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> wooden table manufacturing plant. table plant company. <laughs> okay, so World War I. They need, they need facilities. Trench warfare. Trench warfare. So hot right now. Ship repair. That's a, just an inside joke. Yeah. You, well, now you have to explain it. Yeah. I, you. Okay. Well, we kept seeing movies. <laughs> there was a time there where like 1917, the movie 1917, you know, World War I movies were really hot around that time. And Ashley turned to me once. She's like, trench warfare. So, so hot right so now. So hot right now. <laughs> Okay, so ship repair and conversions were the main business for the yards, but they also built over 130 ships from 1917 to 1989, one of those being the sailing ship Columbia. It was oh. also the birthplace of the Mark Twain Riverboat, an opening day attraction. No way. 
and the eight 52-foot submarines for Disneyland's Navy, a.k.a. the Submarine Voyage. We should also explain briefly, just in our own memory, maybe you have something written down, I don't know, about the L.A. Harbor. Just this, it's technically, sometimes people call it the L.A. Harbor and sometimes it's the Long Beach Harbor. But from Long Beach to San Pedro, it's just... Industry. Industry, shipping industry. Mm-hmm. You know, you look out the Pacific Ocean, there's cargo ships everywhere. And most, uh, it's like a really big majority of the goods in America come through this port. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's the busiest port in America, maybe the second busiest, something like that, other than New York. Yeah. It's pretty wild. It's crazy. And there's um, overpasses going over it. And you're just, you're over those things for a very long time. Yeah. It's like 15 minutes of drive time. You're just, it's nonstop. These huge cranes and those lifts that take the cargo off the ship and then put it on a truck. And and then the 710 is just clogged with semi-trucks with cargo going out into America. Yep. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So the shipyard survived bankruptcy in the Great Depression and built auxiliary ships during World War II as well. And on December 8th, 1943, the Navy seized control of the shipyards under an executive order from President Roosevelt. Wow. They didn't like how the yards were being run and wanted to add some of that good old military efficiency. Mm-hmm. But in the end, Todd's contribution to the war effort was recognized by several national awards for excellence. So oh, okay. important to Disneyland, but more important to America. 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 So it turns out that this ship is a lot more interesting than just being a classic attraction. It is the only three-masted windjammer constructed in the U.S. for over 100 years, James. Is that right? The only three-masted windjammer. Well, I was always wondering how many three-masted windjammers there were. It's the only one. Well, now I know. (laughs) This is good information. (laughs) For more than 60 years, the sailing ship Columbia that has the capacity of roughly 300 people has offered guests a tranquil 12-minute or so glimpse of Disneyland's Rivers of America following the same hidden underwater track as the Mark Twain steamboat. Although, I don't like to think of that kind of a thing. No, no. I don't like seeing behind the curtain. It's the Rivers of America. Yes. There's no track. There's no track. They're just boating around. Yeah, and when you're on the on the boat, you you know that the captain of said boat, he could crash at any point. There could yeah. be a friggin' hippo that comes out. You might be shot by natives. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You might be shot by mountain men. Cowboys. Settlers. You never know. And that danger is what makes you feel alive, baby. It's a real river. Yeah, that's right. You never know. Mm-hmm. Real birds. Real birds. During the narrated voyage, recorded background music plays a mixture of sea chanties and lively nautical music. The ship holds 10 cannons and two deck-mounted swivel guns, and during the journey, one of them fires a 12-gauge blank as a warning shot at Pirate's Lair to ward off potential pirate attacks. Damn. So why was this ship added to the mix? The story goes, in 1956, Walt Disney stood alongside Disney executive Dick Nunes, looking at the rivers of America. By the way, Dick Nunes just passed away. Aw, rest he, in I peace. Think he was 90, something yeah. like that. And his book is incredible. Of course, yeah, I can't remember out. it. Oh, it's um, Walt's Apprentice. I yes. think that's the name of the book. Something like that. Yes. If you just type Dick Nunes book, I'm sure you'll find it. Mm-hmm. My, my dad gave it to me after he read it. And then I, I just drilled through that book. It was so good. If you're a Disney fan on any level, ugh, brilliant book. Yeah. 
Anyway, sorry. So they were looking at the rivers of America with the Mark Twain and the keel boats gliding through the waters and rafts going back and forth from Tom Sawyer Island and the Indian war canoes paddling furiously near the shore. Walt turned to Nunes, who thought Walt was going to comment on how busy the traffic was on the man-made river. Mm -hmm. But instead, he said, what we really need is another big boat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what we need. By the way, that is a very Walt Disney crazy idea. Yeah, You have a very small area to play with generally at Disneyland. An even smaller area that we're talking about that is the Rivers of America, Tom Sawyer's Island, that whole area. So to have a huge steam wheeler goddamn ship on that small body of water is already bonkers. And say, we need one more of them. No, we need to have another one. (laughs) It's just wild. Well, Walt wanted to build an entire river town, roughly where the Haunted Mansion attraction is now located. I know. I thought that would hurt you. You know what? This is something that... It'll never go back to this. Disney Imagineering, when it was from either from directly from Walt's brain or his like disciples, the people that came up with him, Main Street will never happen again. Because it, it's, not, it's not monetizable. It's not marketable. Yeah. It's not marketable. You can't have IP there. Um, yeah. I mean, they're making money off the merch and stuff like that. But I don't know. You know what I'm saying. They don't really build things anymore for just the dream of it and the character and the like, oh, wouldn't that be cool if we had a freaking river town? You're not going to see it unless they can incorporate it with, like you said, some marketability. Yeah. That's sad. Well, Admiral Joe Fowler, head of Disneyland Construction, after exhaustive research at multiple maritime museums, suggested the gem of the ocean, the Columbia Ritavivia, which mm. means Freedom Reborn, as the inspiration for this new ship. The Columbia Redivivia was the first American ship to circumnavigate the globe in a three-year voyage from 1787 to 1790. So that oh, wow. is real. It was a merchant ship and a private vessel, so that's why it's not preceded by USS. It's just the Columbia Redivivia. Mm. Under the command of Captain Robert Gray in 1787, it circumnavigated the globe. In another voyage in 1790, Gray found the Columbia River in the Pacific Northwest, which he named after the ship. So it's extra fitting that our beautiful Columbia River Gorge is featured in the rivers of America. Hell yeah. That's where we're from, baby. The Columbia Redivivia was the first documented ship to anchor in the river's broad estuary on May 11, 1792. He named the river Columbia's River after his ship and drew a sketch map of the river mouth. With Gray's entry into the river, the U.S. had an arguable claim to the discovery in the deliberations with Great Britain that led to the Oregon Treaty of 1846. We got there first. We documented it. You have some amount of negotiating room there. Right. Gray was a no-nonsense trader and a bit of a shit who forcefully acquired furs from natives, often driving hard bargains and refusing to negotiate with them. Mm -hmm. On two occasions, one in present-day Tillamook Bay and another in present-day Gray's Harbor, Washington, Gray fired on native traders who would not accept his price for furs, killing several. One crewman recorded in the Gray's Harbor incident in his log, quote, I am sorry we was obliged to kill the poor devils, but it could not with safety be avoided. Yikes. So, not all happy and fun and swashbuckly. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of Disney things, the origins are... You dig a little deeper and it's a little dark. (laughs) 
<laughs> but you know what? It's not Disney's fault. That's history. That's humans, yeah. That's just going to happen. As a mariner, Gray displayed an impatience that led him to sail too close to dangerous coastlines, mm. a practice that often resulted in damage to the ships that he captained. But it was that aggressive attitude that led to his sailing boldly into the Columbia River in May of 1792. As a commercial mariner, Gray played no role as an emissary for America, so he willingly passed on his sketch chart of the Columbia to British Captain George Vancouver, who had told Gray that he did not believe the river existed. I don't believe that river exists. He's like, yeah, well, I got a map of it, yeah, bitch. Well, also, I love all these names. The city of Vancouver, Washington is from a guy with the last name Vancouver. Yep. And Gray, Washington is from a guy with the last name Gray. Mm-hmm. It's just all of American history is that. Yeah. Like, why is it called this? Because some guy did a thing. And then, of course, British Columbia with Vancouver, Canada. Mm-hmm. It's all the same. Right. Well, realizing his error, in October, Vancouver sent his tender ship, the Chatham, captained by Lieutenant William Broughton. And Chatham Tanning. <laughs> That's Ch- Channing. You know how I like to say <laughs> More inside humor. <laughs> Uh, It's fun for the audience when you do only inside humor. Yes, they like that. He was sent into the Columbia and ordered a hundred mile long survey of the lower river. That voyage produced a detailed map published in 1798 that gave Britain a legitimate claim to the river. Wow. (laughs) Jeesh. No way. Yeah. What year was that? That was 1798. So it was six years after. Huh. So, I mean, America was already a thing. Uh, on yes. the East Coast, at least. Yeah, right. not, but not, not Oregon. Here. So, back to Disneyland. Ray Wallace, who had a love of classic ships, was commissioned by Fowler to design and build the ship. Wallace, an architect and yachtsman, mm-hmm. had explored the Pacific as a sea scout in his teens, served in the Coast Guard during World War II, and later was an officer in several yacht clubs and a board member of the Los Angeles Maritime Museum. Cute. Wallace was Errol Flynn's first mate on his sailboat that they took to Catalina. Mm, Only, I know, we can basically see see it. Not we can. There's times where you can just see it. Yeah. Pretty wild. Only one picture was known to exist of the ship. Columbia in the Squall is what the name of the picture was. But Wallace used research from the Library of Congress, as well as the blueprints for the HMS Bounty, the ship from the famous Mutiny on the Bounty films, and built two years earlier by the same shipbuilders. They used authentic teak, oak, and maple wood in the construction of the outer hull, decks, masts, and other areas. Sorry, what ship is this? I'm confused why there would be a picture. Of the original Columbia. Oh, wow. So it had, because it was built way back before cameras were a thing. Yeah. And then it, it lasted that long. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Should have clarified. Told you it wasn't a tightly written script. No, it's, it's fine. <laughs> I, I was just like doing the math. I'm like, huh. I don't think the first photos were like, I mean, it was right around the Civil War, like 1860-ish. Yeah, like so that. there were just drawings of it. Columbia right. in a squall. It was probably a painting maybe. So, but yeah, the blueprints from the HMS Bounty were used as um, a guide for, oh, wow. for creating the Disneyland Columbia. right. right. Blaine Gibson sculpted the figurehead known as Columbia, the Spirit of America, the, the lady mm-hmm. on the front end. Which is, for anyone that hasn't been to Disneyland, it is so ornate and beautiful. 
That's it. Just want yeah. to say that. It's, it's amazing. It really is a, a piece of art. Mm-hmm. In the 16th to 19th centuries, it became commonplace to have a figurehead at the head of the ship as a way of providing visual identification for the illiterate masses. If I were to build a ship, I would have Benny, or a cat, as the figurehead. Just slugging his way. Benny's just super duper fat. And we like to call him Tusa de Honka Beef or a Beef 52 Bomber, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. So it gives you an idea. So He's real beefy. lazy, dangly, sea lion, beefy kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, but it was also the belief that having a beautiful woman as the figurehead would entice the ocean gods and spirits sure. and allow vessels to proceed without harm. Friggin' idiots, the <laughs> shit they believed back then. <laughs> Stupid. We're a lot smarter than them. The ship was launched at a ceremony on June 14th, 1958 at 5 p.m. The crew for the maiden voyage consisted of sea scouts who were based out of Redondo Beach, California. What is a sea scout? It's like a boy scout, but for the ocean. Not a California thing. Yes, very Californian. These sea scouts were wearing jaunty boat attire, James. And of course, Walt was there along with his friend, Art Linkletter. Following nautical tradition told to him by Admiral Fowler, Walt had placed a new silver dollar under each of the masts for good luck. For the debut of the sailing ship Columbia, U.S. Coast Guard Admiral Alfred Carroll Richmond presented a Bible to the Columbia's acting skipper, which was Fowler, wearing an authentic skipper costume. Cute. Adorable. In accordance with maritime tradition. And the Admiral's wife, Gretchen Richmond, christened the Columbia with a bottle of champagne as Walt looked on proudly. Even though Richmond retired in 1962, just Four years later, he returned in full uniform to inaugurate the Below Deck Maritime Museum when it was added in 1964. You mean the boat from Disneyland was added? Or the original? The the Below Deck Museum was added in 1964. He came back to inaugurate that. Gotcha. Cool. So So he was involved in this stuff his whole life. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm always going to think of that when I look at Feller. Well, no, that was, sorry. That was Richmond. Richmond, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just love that the more you you peel back the layers of Disney Imagineering and the history of the parks, <clears throat> you you realize a lot of these people, they didn't just come out of nowhere. These were like historians in their field and, and everyone was an expert in what they were tasked to do. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. Not all. I mean, there's also stories of people just figuring it out. Yeah. I mean, th- that was kind of Dick Nunes. He was just a kid. And he just started following Walt Disney around. Yeah. He <laughs> just happened to be there at the right time and right place. And he worked his ass off. But yeah, I, I love that. There's such a good balance of like American, like do it yourselfness, And then, you know, experts in their field. Mm-hmm. The people that built the parks were like construction masters. And, and yeah, that's. It's a good reminder of that. But the nature of the park is such that like you can be a master in your field, but just because you're a master in carpentry doesn't mean that you are necessarily a master of imagineering carpentry. No. Like, you're going to have to that's right. figure it out. Exactly. That's a better way to put it. Like, yeah, you still need to have that creative uh, Disney magic in it. Yep. Um, fun fact, the sailing ship was also meant to be included at Walt Disney World. But when the budget for the Vacation Kingdom soared, several things were eliminated, that being one of them. Mm. The ship is still the reason for the name of Liberty Square's restaurant, though, the Columbia Harbor House. So, it's a nice little nod. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah. 
Um, my sources for today's episode are very much in large part Jim Corcus, author, historian of Disney stuff. Tales Great last of name the too. Yeah. Corcus. Corcus. Tales of the Sailing Ship Columbia is an article that he wrote. The Todd Pacific Shipyard's own records. I got to dig through original records, oh, which cool always makes me happy. Yeah. And the Oregon Encyclopedia. Cool. The Oregon Encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess because of the, the Columbia River and the Col- yeah. yeah. Exactly. Dude, how fascinating. I love it. It's funny how it ties everything together, too. It's like Long Beach, where we are, mm-hmm. and the Oregon, like the Columbia Gorge, Wild. and yeah. Disneyland, and... Yeah, you know, and when we first started the podcast, we were very bullish about Disneyland being the one and only park, and there is no Walt Disney World. Like, we don't even we don't even recognize it. Well, now we've been a couple times. We fucking adore it. It's so good. Everyone knows that Epcot's incredible. Disneyland's still better, and we all know that too. But my point being that depending on what side of the coast you grew up on, the the regional stuff matters to you and Disneyland is chock full of California and West coast and the West side of America. It's Western heavy. I don't mean cowboy heavy. I just mean the Western States. Yeah. But also that and like Mexico and Mexico. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And Walt Disney world has some of that too, but they, it feels more Florida and like animal kingdom can't really exist here. That it is a lush, tropical park that could only exist in that kind of climate um i just think that's cool and like even epcot would work here but it doesn't make as much sense to have it out there like florida is an international state a lot of people from around the world go there i I suppose you could say the same thing for california and la but it's just different miami is a pretty big hub for a a lot of different countries and continents yeah, and I, I just love that. I love that, you know, the the history of how these things have come to be tend to be local people and local stories and based off things that have have a footing in the region that it was that it happened. I, yeah. ju- I just think that's really cool. It definitely adds to how I view it when I'm there, the more I learn oh, yeah. about all these little things. I mean, the, the, the ship was built in San Pedro. I mean, we can see it from our apartment. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see that coastline. It's right there. Mm-hmm. It's wild. And not only was that built there, the submarines, your nemeses. Yeah, that's right. And Mark Twain. It was all there. And World War One and Two ships. Right. Man, there's a lot of history there. Yeah. God, I could just dive into that for a month. There's so much there. Well, anyway, that was really cool as always, Ash. Thank you for putting all that together. Mm-hmm. Shall we go to the time of the week where we recommend some things to you and we talk about additional things? Let's shall. Time. Time stuff. Segment. I'll go first. Do it. How about that? Yeah. So I'm going to start with a recommendation, uh, a, a TV show recommendation for you, a television series, if you will. And it is the 2018 series called The Terror. Mm-hmm. And I have to give credit to my lovely wife, Ashley, over there. Um, it's on AMC, and we're doing the whole like free trial for seven days, and then we cancel the thing. So, you know, you I'm could not, also do that. I'm not you at home. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not like recommending anything. I'm just saying it's you know it's a thing that can happen. It's um, only ten episodes, so you could really blaze through that. That's right. Uh, let's see. So. Supernatural, semi-historical horror anthology series 
where each season is inspired by a different infamous or mysterious real-life historical tragedy. So this is of the real-life Royal Navy Expedition, later known as Franklin's Expedition. Um, and I won't read the whole thing. Here's my version of it, okay? The James bio. Basically, a British Navy expedition is trying to find passage through the Arctic. The What do the they Canadian call it? The Arctic. Canadian Arctic. And they sent out two ships, old wooden ships. And this is in the 1800s, I should point out. Like the mid-1800s, so a long time ago. And they obviously get stuck in the ice. <laughs> if they, I mean, stuck. Just gridlocked. They cannot go through. And it's a while. They're there for a while. <laughs> and the show takes the real historical event and then goes from there and adds some like, you know, uh, supernatural kind of fun horror vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, again, it's based in events that have happened, and that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of really good, like, indigenous folklore, yes. supernatural elements to it. Yes. Highly recommend it, and obviously it ties into old wooden ships. Yes, it does. Uh, my recommended pick of the week is a new dramedy in mm. theaters called American Fiction. Dude. It's so good. So good. So, American Fiction is Cord Jefferson's hilarious directorial debut, which confronts our culture's obsession with reducing people to outrageous stereotypes. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright is fantastic in this. He yeah. stars as Monk, a frustrated novelist who's fed up with the establishment profiting from black entertainment that relies on tired and offensive tropes. To prove his point, Monk uses a pen name to write an outlandish black book of his own, a book that propels him to the heart of hypocrisy and the madness that he claims to disdain. It's fantastic. And if you like the movie adaptation at all, I really think that you will like this. It's very self-aware. And, you know, if it sounds a little too, like, preachy or, like, socially woke, it's it's really not. not. It's really not. Um, Uh, In fact, I I would argue it's, like, the opposite. Yeah. It's just, it's hilarious because he comes from this, like, elite Boston family where there's three children and all of them are doctors. All of them are doctors. And he's just, like... Very academic, well-spoken, yes. sweater-wearing nerd. You and know. because he is happens to be black, his work always gets lumped in with uh, with the like African American experience, the Compton like, experience, and yeah. And so it doesn't sell well because that's not what it is, right? And so he he needs money because his mom is sick; she has Alzheimer's. And so he decides, you know what? I'm going to give them what they've been I'm asking give them for. What then. They want. And so he puts on a character, and he's like, gets all. Yeah, what's up, motherfucker? And like, I'm I'm a black dude. This is the guy that you want. Yeah. And he puts out a book that's about this fictitious story in the hood. Yeah. And, and it, all the while thinking, oh, they're gonna, there's no they're way. gonna see how stupid this is, right. and we don't. And of course, it's like a bestseller, <laughs> and it, it's great. Yeah, it's really funny. Yeah, um, and very sweet. And by the way, what you mean by the adaptation comparison? For anyone that hasn't seen adaptation, it's maybe my favorite movie ever made. It's, it's great. So good. It's funny, it's entertaining, and it's really, really intelligent. But I will say adaptation's probably a little bit more, not trippy, but like a little mind-bendy, kind of, sort of. Yeah, it's Charlie Kaufman. It's Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Who did like... Uh, being John Malkovich. Being John Malkovich. Movies like that. Um, but adaptation is the story of a script writer. <laughs> it's crazy. It's... Nicholas Cage playing a scriptwriter, trying to write 
himself into a movie to a story that they're making in a movie. So it's just like layers of inception level meta, you know, and, and all the things he says not to do, like don't ever use a narrator in your film that that's, that's weak writing. And of course there's a narrator in the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very don't self-aware. Don't write yourself into a, a yeah. story. Yeah. It's, it's so genius. Um, and anyway, this, this movie, American fiction has a similar tone where it's like that the character is doing the thing that, he's saying not to do you know mm-hmm. it's great highly recommend it's it's really one of the better movies i've seen in a long time yeah it's fantastic okay should i uh share a deep dive yeah that i've been into all right guys we all know that i love to weird just things dive deep in the abyss of the internet the weirdest subcultures out there and lately i've been really into the sports the weird sports out there the weird games that people play. Last one was chess boxing. You guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Where you get into a boxing ring, you punch each other, and then you're sweating, you're bloody, and then you have to play a round of chess. But after that, there was Indian pole gymnastics. Indian pole gymnastics. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That was after that. So this one is... There's a Russian guy just kind of sitting there. On a trampoline. On a trampoline. Hold on. Click out of this. I can actually open the thing. One second. Okay. The I don't know if this is the name of the sport, but the Instagram account is called Jumping Federation. That's <laughs> so, so Russian. The most Russian thing you'll ever see. Everything's written in Russian. They're all Russian. It's in Russia. And the whole sport, um, how do I even explain it? So it's like like gymnastic dancing creative like performative dancing but on a goddamn trampoline tramps. and the trampolines often have handles. See how it has a handle? Uh-huh. It's like jazzer size jazzer size. Yeah, it's jazzer sizey fitnessy performative dancing. dancing on a small trampoline. That has a handle, like a bike handle, so you can like do stuff with it. Right. Jump around. And they'll like they'll use the trampoline. See, here's like a, a it's almost like, synchronized um, one with little girls. Yeah. It's almost like cheerleading kind yeah, of. Yeah. Kind of cheerleady ish. So is this competitive? It's very competitive. There's whole like here's the Moscow. What is this called? The Moscow Region Cup 2023 Jumping Fitness Championship thing. How about that? Jumping. They're wearing very elaborate outfits. It's like very pageanty. I think the sport is called Jumping Fitness. Jumping Fitness. Russian Jumping Fitness Federation. (laughs) 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 These fucking assholes. And like, they'll use them creatively, like. You know, they'll start their their routine with, with like the trampoline on its side and they'll yeah. like spin around it and peekaboo, I'm hiding from it. Up, up, up. And then they put it down flat and jump on it. And that reminds me of the the dance sequence in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh, yes. When they're doing their pageant yes. and they have like the freshly painted little stools and they're like using the stools <laughs> yes. as part of the it's dance. Exactly <laughs> like that. It's exactly like Shout that. Shout out to Drop Dead Gorgeous. That is a fantastic Dude, movie. Such a great movie. Anyway, yeah, that's my uh, that's my new weird sport. 
uh, the Russian Jumping Fitness Federation. So check it out. Have fun. And just know that I sent you. <laughs> tell, tell, tell him, tell him sent James you. sent you. <laughs> Look at this asshole. He's like on an angle, jumping. I mean, it's a lot of not... there's a lot of lycra happening. You've seen Hobby Horse before, right? Yes, I've seen Hobby Horse. It's, I know championships. Mm-hmm. The, it's it's up there with Hobby Horse to me. Yeah, wild. It is wild. The human human species is very strange, <laughs> and Russia's even stranger. <laughs> of course, uh, that's in Russia. Well, thank you for sharing that, James. You're very welcome. I have. A few animal heroes of the week. Let's hear it. First up is something that you sent me a while back. It is a house beaver, a yes. beaver that lives inside of a house, and he is a big, good, sweet boy, and yeah. he likes to build dams in the hallway out yeah. of toys and a Christmas tree and, Christmas and paper. Because he he's just, a beaver. He's, you know, the video says not a single drop of water is getting past that bad boy. And they are goddamn right. He is building a dam and mm-hmm. you will not pass. And he's not just a pet. They didn't just go grab a beaver out of the wild. He's a rescue. Yes, of course. He's a rescue. Yeah. He would have died. He's very cute. I'll put a picture of him. He's a very good boy. Yeah, he's pretty cool. And then the other... Very Benny-like. Very Benny. The other animal heroes of the week are a couple of ducks. Like a little old duck couple... That have been swimming in our swimming pool. Oh, yeah. And they are just owning that pool. Cool time SoCal ducks. Yeah. They're just chilling. They have water. They have so much water near them. There are wetlands. There Mm. is an ocean. There is Mm. a river. There's Mm. so much water. And they are like, you know what? I see that sparkling pool down there. And it is heated to 84 degrees night and day. And I am going to use it. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so cute. I can't wait until it gets a little warmer. We can actually want to get in the pool yes we could now but we're little babies and i think it's funny that they don't want to sit in the hot tub because that's too hot that's too toasty we don't want anything higher than like 90 yeah one of these days i'll do a little instagram tour for you guys to see this this compound we're living in now it's pretty wild there's there's two gyms one's inside one's outside which is bonkers there's a volleyball court that we'll never use uh unless i want to have my Playing, uh, with playing with the boys. Playing with the boys moment. Playing with the boys. Just a 40-year-old in his flabby, blubber, white man chest. That'd be cool. Jean cut off shorts. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, there's a pool, hot tub. There's a freaking dog park. There's tennis courts, pickleball courts. It's a pretty extensive uh, whole, whole thing here. Operation. It's pretty neat. And those ducks are just residents along with us. Yeah, totally. All right, I think we did it. We did it. We brought some entertainment to these people. And we'll see what happens next week with Sarah. And we're going to, as soon as possible, we're working on it. Yeah, we're working on it. Sarah will be back. Um, we love her and we miss her, but send She's her. She's drinking margaritas. Yeah, don't feel bad for her, okay? I don't feel She's bad for Cancun her. She's in Cancun right now as we speak. So, you know, whatever. Whatever. All right, we love you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Disney Dependent. See, see you, you real, real soon. soon. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Disney Dependent. And you can send us an email at DisneyDependent at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Producer Ash. The logo is by Ryan Hatch, and you can find him at WR Hatch on Instagram. The music is by Ryan Knowles, and you can find him at Ryan Allen Knowles on Instagram. This show is mixed and edited by Deanna Chapman. 
you can find Deanna at Deanna underscore Chapman. And this has been a Team Dynamite Goat production. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll be back here next week.